All right, sermon. Hmm. Well, hello, everyone. Hi, what a good-looking crowd we have here today. Ah, no, it's no good. Maybe I'll search online for some inspiration. What do we have here? Billie Jean, but just with door stoppers. Hmm. No, focus, Adam. Okay. Sermon. Hmm. Ah! You know what? I need to get out and stretch my legs. Maybe I'll head upstairs and grab some coffee. Inspiration. Oh, hey Adam, how's the sermon going? Oh, good, good, no problems here. All right. All right, listen, focus. You can do this, Adam. Think. Sermon. Hmm. Maybe? Yes. Yes, that's it. That is it. I'm going deep, deep, deep. Hello, everyone. My, what, what a good-looking crowd we have here today, right? So my name is Adam. I'm one of the pastors on staff here. And today we are continuing our series, Deep. You see, at RCC, it's not just about having a bunch of head knowledge. It's about doing. It's about life change. And so to that end, we've created these deep cards. And if you haven't gotten one, we're going to be giving them out on the way out. Um, but these cards each correspond with one of our everybodies. So when you hear everybody, think values. So these are everything that we value. These are what we think everybody should do to have a deep faith. And on the back of each card, there's steps you can take to help you. So if you've only been following Jesus a short time, maybe you've done none of these. So maybe just pick one and start there and see what you think. Or if you've been following Jesus for 30 years, take a look at which ones you're not doing. Maybe some of these you're doing all the time, but there might be some on there that you've been, oh, I'm a little scared to do that, or you've been putting that off, but that might be your next step. So um, Everybody Connects is the everybody I'm going to be talking about today. And connection is important. Connection is beneficial to us. When my daughter was about to be born, we had this cat, and my wife rescued it from uh, behind a dumpster at a gas station and brought it home and, and nursed it back to health. And then we got to watch its personality kind of unfold in front of us. And it was just the worst. It would do things like it would hide behind the linen basket, and then as you walk by, it would jump out and like claw you in the back of the leg. And this is like barely tolerable with us there, but with bringing like a baby into the house, you know, it's like, well, what do you do? And so my wife, who is a really wise woman, said we should get another cat. And I thought, Burp. like, that seems to me like it would compound the issue. But my wife knows what she's doing. She brought home this other cat. And you could see the gears turning in its little pea-sized brain. And it's thinking, I'm being replaced. All of a sudden, it is like, hey, look at me. I'm social now. Look at you. Want to pet me? I won't scratch your face. Look at, I'm peeing in the litter box and not just wherever I feel like it around the house. Like, it was like a brand new cat. And it was that connection that pushed it to help it grow. It's not perfect, but it's better, 
You know what I'm saying? And so the idea is that connection is positive. It's a positive thing for cats, and it's a positive thing for people. God designed us for connection. God created Adam in the garden, and he said it's not good. It's not good for man to be alone. And as a response to that, he created Eve. He gave him a companion. He gave him someone to have connection with. And so in the broader context of the story, it isn't necessarily about marriage, but it's about how isolation is not good. And it's statistically proven that you will live longer if you have connection with people. If you have someone there stirring your emotions, someone there to stimulate you intellectually, it doesn't even have to be a person, it could be a pet, you will live longer. Isolation is not good. It's not good. We saw it in the garden. We saw it with the Tower of Babel when early civilizations began to form groups based on common languages, based on common cultures. We are innately tribal people. We tend to nest around people that are like us, that are similar to us, similar backgrounds, similar way of thinking, similar way of acting. And this is a good thing. This is a positive thing. We find our identity in these groups. There's safety in these groups. Galatians 6.2 says, carry each other's burdens. So help each other, support each other. This is healthy, but it can also be unhealthy. It could be unhealthy when our groups get closed off. It can be unhealthy when we exclude people from what we're doing. Have you ever started a new job? You start a new job, and you join the team, and there's people that have been there for 20 years. And it doesn't matter how much experience you have, it doesn't matter how qualified you are for the position, you're going to be met with a little bit of resistance. They're not going to accept you right away. And then, if you don't say the right things, if you don't do the right things, if you don't show you fit in, you don't wear the right tie, whatever the case may be, you can experience rejection. And that rejection is not good for the organization. If the organization has a capacity that's too small, has a focus that's too narrow to accept new ideas and new talents from diverse people, it's going to stagnate and it's going to die. And they're going to miss out on the blessing that this person could have been. I'm not saying you don't have to censor, but sometimes we reject people based on criteria that doesn't really matter. And you miss out on God's blessings because your selection process for who you bring into your circle is not based on anything sound. So why am I talking about this stuff? Because God uses people to help us grow. So I'm going to set it up, and then I'm going to dive into some scripture here. And first I'm going to say this. It is healthy to have a support base around you. But sometimes the support base for where you're going looks different than the support base from where you've come from. Sometimes the people around you can relate to your history, but not necessarily your destiny. So I'm, I'm originally from upstate New York, and I got a bunch of family back there and friends who have known me since I was a child. And when I go back home to visit them, it's amazing. 
It is like I haven't, it's like I haven't even been gone. I mean, we share jokes that I don't have with anybody else. We know people that nobody else knows. We have a shared history, shared experiences, and it is a great thing, and I feel the sense of home when I go there. And it is good for a time. But I know that if I were to stay there, I know that if I were to have never left there, it would be a bad thing. Because I have grown as a person, and I can never go back to being the person that I was. Some people still cling to where they were going at the, or where they're from at the expense of where they're going. And you have a support base around yesterday, but not around today. And it's difficult because if you're trying to move on and become a level 10, and you got people around you that are still treating you like you're a level one, it's hard. They're reinforcing where you are and not where you're going. And I'm not saying these people don't love you. They love you, they just can't help you. And you got to have people around you that can help you. If you're not at least a little uncomfortable in your life, then you are not growing. If your thinking is too small, if you're not allowing God to bless you, you're going to miss out on it. You need to expand your understanding. You need to expand your neighborhood. I'm going to share this story now. Luke 10, uh, 29 through 35. Jesus is speaking to a crowd here, a crowd of mostly Jewish people. And somebody asks him, what do I need to do in order to have eternal life? This is a fair question. I mean, there's a lot going on. There's, with religion, there's laws, there's rules, there's doctrines, there's theologies, there's denominations, there's moralities, there's things you need to do and things you shouldn't do. There's all this stuff And Jesus cuts through it all, and he makes it real simple. He boils it down to two things. He says, love your God with all your heart, and love your neighbor as yourself. These other things are important, but if you can at least get these two things right, you're going to be okay. And the funny thing is, like, you know, we as humans, no matter how easy it is, we always want it easier, right? So there's some guy in the crowd that stands up and goes, "Um, Jesus, so who exactly is my neighbor? What do you mean by neighbor? Which is crazy to me. It's like all these things, you just boils it down to two things, and you still got that guy in the crowd. And so Jesus answers him, who is my neighbor? But he doesn't answer him directly. He answers him with a story, and he tells him the story of the Good Samaritan. <clears throat> he says, A certain man went down from Jerusalem to Jericho and fell among thieves, who stripped him of his clothing, wounded him, and departed, leaving him half dead. Now by chance, a certain priest came down the road, and when he saw him, he passed by on the other side. Likewise, a Levite, when he arrived at the place, came and looked and passed by on the other side. But a certain Samaritan, as he journeyed, came where he was, and when he saw him, he had compassion. And so he went to him, bandaged his wounds, pouring on oil and wine, and he set him on his own animal, brought him to an inn, took care of him, and on the next day when he departed, he took out two denarii, gave them to the innkeeper, and said to him, take care of him, and whatever more you spend, when I come again, I will repay you. So this is incredible. This guy flipped the bill. He paid the charges for some guy he didn't even know. So what is Jesus saying here? Jesus is trying to teach something with this story. He's trying to get this man to expand his perspective, to expand his idea of who his neighbors are. 
And this story only really makes sense in the context of the question, who is my neighbor? He's asking, who is my brother? Who is my friend? Who should I bring into my inner circle? And Jesus says this, a certain man went down from Jerusalem to Jericho and fell among thieves. Now, the first thing I want to say is that a lot of translations of the Bible say he was attacked by thieves. But if you look at the original Hebrew text, the word there is peripipto, which means to sink in. It's used elsewhere in the Bible for like a ship that's sinking. And this is important, not because he fell. Anybody can fall. I mean, you fall, you get back up again. You know, anybody can make a mistake. But if you fall among thieves, they are going to take advantage of you. If you fall among people that have poor character, if you surround yourself with people that are not positive people, they're going to bring you down. So when you're uncovered, you can be wounded. They stripped him, they wounded him, and left him for dead. Now this is an interesting order. And we've got to pay attention to it because Jesus is a teacher. Jesus is telling a story here. And he says they stripped him and then they wounded him. Which is kind of a weird thing. Like if I'm going to rob somebody, I'm going to beat them up and then take their stuff. I don't need them to get naked first. You know, that's, that's thieving 101. But Jesus tells it this way because he's making a point. He says when you're uncovered, you can be wounded. When you're vulnerable, people can take advantage of you. So he says, be careful who you let into your circle. So who is my neighbor? He says a priest passes by. Why is this significant? Well, you got to remember, Jesus was talking to Hebrews. He was talking to Jewish people. And so a priest to them would have been an official position. You go to the temple, you see the priest up there. And they would have known him as a good man, but not necessarily a familiar man. Why do I say this? Because knowing about someone is not really knowing someone. I, for a lot of you, I cannot be your neighbor. Pastor Mike, for a lot of you, cannot be your neighbor. There's this concept called Dunbar's number. And the idea is that there is a cognitive limit to how many people you can be friends with, how many people you can have in your circle. Because after that, it just becomes acquaintances. And the number is around 50. Some people a little more, some people a little less. But the idea is you cannot know or not be friends with more than 50 people. And there are almost 2,000 people that consider this church their home. And I say this today because Mike sometimes receives emails from people that say something along the lines of, you know, I stopped coming to church and you didn't even notice I was gone. And my heart breaks for those people. It stinks feeling that way. But those people do not have an understanding of who their neighbor is. We as a staff care about this stuff very much. You may not know this, but we get together every couple of weeks and we say, all right, who, who haven't we seen in a while? Who have we been missing? And then if we are able to like pinpoint somebody that maybe stopped coming, we'll, we'll reach out to them and say, hey, we missed you. You know, we care about this stuff, but it's hard. It's like saying, who wasn't at the game last month? I don't know. I mean, there's a lot of people there. And what I'm saying is, I love RCC. I love talking with you all out in the commons afterwards. But that is not deep. 
And in RCC, we care about deep. I'm not saying it's those bad. I love that stuff. It is great. But if you only have that stuff, it is not deep. That's why on these cards here, one of the things is join a ministry, join a community group, because that's important to surround yourself with people that you're going to be, have that regular interaction with. We need it. We think it's important. We value it. We want you to understand that if you only have this, it's not deep. So the priest is not your neighbor. Who else is not your neighbor? Jesus says another guy comes by, a Levite comes by. Who was a Levite to these people? A Levite is from uh, the Hebrew tribe of Levi. So Jesus is saying this is a literal member of your tribe. This is somebody that could live down the street from you. This is somebody with the same skin color, the same eye color, the same religious views, the same way of voting, the same way of thinking, the same way of speaking. And Jesus says, this guy saw him and kept on walking. And you might be thinking, well, maybe he didn't like really see him. You know, I see people sometimes, but I don't really see them. But if you look at the Greek text here, or the Hebrew text rather, it says it's more than just seeing. It's like recognizing. It's taking in. So this guy walked down the road, saw that the guy laying there was his own kin, and kept on walking. And this can be really hard. Because for some of you, your family may not be your neighbor, even though you think they should be. You might think your coworkers should be your neighbor, but they're not. You might think people you've known for a long time, or people who look like you, or people who, who uh, are around you a lot, may not be your neighbor. So who is my neighbor? Jesus says a Samaritan comes by, finds him, and helps him. Now this will mean nothing to you if you don't know who the Samaritans were to the Jews. But they hated each other. They were on religious opposite ends of the scale. You can think about it like uh, modern day, like Muslims and Serbs in Bosnia. I mean, it was like these religious factions that hated each other. When they insulted Jesus, they called him a devil and they called him a Samaritan. So this was who came by. This is who Jesus says was the person that helped them when they were in need. He's trying to communicate something. He's trying to communicate that your help may not come from the places you expect it to come from. I, um, my oldest son experienced some health issues, and just a long story short, um, there wasn't any facilities around here that could help him, and we were searching, and we found a place in Houston, Texas, but they were out of our network, and they wanted money up front, and we needed 15 grand. And so we did like this, this campaign to try and raise some money from friends and family, and I got to tell you, I was really surprised at who gave and who didn't give. I mean, there's people that I thought, this person for sure is going to give. This person is going to be my biggest contributor right here. We didn't give anything. And then there's other people where it's like, I did not expect any from, anything from them, or I haven't talked to them in years, and they'd give the most. And it was crazy that my help came from places that I least expected it. So if you were limiting yourself from who you let into your circle, you were limiting God's blessings in your life. So I want to say this. Um, be cautious, but don't be safe. What do I mean by this? Proverbs 12, 26 says, The righteous choose their friends and family carefully, but the way of the wicked leads them astray. So how do you choose people? You choose people the same way God chooses people. 
In 1 Samuel, he says, Do not look at his appearance or his height or his stature because I have rejected him. For the Lord sees not as man sees. Man looks at the outward appearance, but the Lord looks at the heart. So I'm saying here is too often we reject people for the wrong reasons. We reject them because they dress a little weird or they're not from the same neighborhood we're from or they don't look like we do or they don't act like we do. I'm not saying to be unwise, but you have to be intentional. Pastor Mike is saying that excellence doesn't happen on accident. I want to tell you that you need to be responsible for your own growth. It's not reasonable to go to the party and stand in the corner the whole time and then get mad that you don't leave there knowing anybody. You are responsible for your own growth. Only you can make the connections to help you grow. And we need people around us to help us grow. If you're not connected to RCC and you want to be, this is a great time because we're doing small group signups right now. So it's the perfect time to get involved. And if you're not comfortable with maybe trying out a small group, we have this thing called Midweek, too, where we meet at the downtown building. It's like a larger group. Um, you can sign up for those, talk to a pastor, visit rccsunday.com. Um, that's an easy way, an easy way in. So I want to conclude with this thought. It's interesting to me how the, the most real picture of Jesus in his story is the Samaritan. It's a metaphor for Jesus. And I picture, like, how long was that guy laying there? You know, long enough for at least two people to pass him by. You know, he's naked. He's bloody. He's laying in the dirt. He's probably soiled himself. He's not in a good spot. And this man comes along on a horse, which is he's above him. And he gets off of his high position to meet him where he's at. He bandages his wounds and puts them on his own animal. In order to do that, I mean, if you're going to have to get close to somebody, you have to get intimate with somebody. And Jesus wasn't ashamed of him. Jesus wasn't grossed out by him. Jesus took him, put him on his horse, brought him to the inn, gave him money, and then said, I know that it's not going to be enough to cover the cost. But when I return, I will pay it in full, no matter what. Let us follow Jesus' example. Do not limit the blessings that God has for you. Don't live in your history. Step out into your destiny. So let's bow our heads together as we pray. Heavenly Father, I just thank you so much that you are a God who loves us. And you love us so much that you don't want us to just be comfortable where we're at. You want to see us grow. You want to see us experience the blessings that you have for us. Sometimes it's hard. Sometimes it's difficult. Sometimes there's pain involved in that. But I pray that you just give us direction, give us courage and the strength to step out and follow you. We ask these things in your name. Amen. So at this point, we are going to receive the offering. And I just want to let you know that 10% of everything you give at RCC goes to missions. So in a second, I'm going to have Kirk and MZ uh, tell you a little bit about what we've done in the past and what we're going to be doing in the future. So take a look. Hi, I'm Kirk. And I'm MZ. In 2014, we were sitting in church, and there was a message about how to take your next step with Jesus. And at that time, they were offering an opportunity for us to, to visit a mission trip in Honduras. 
And a couple of years later, we're leading teams for RCC to Honduras, and we'd love to have you join us this summer. The dates are August 2nd through the 8th. We'll be making ourselves available after the service in the lobby. You know what our faces look like now, so please come and talk to us. We'll answer any questions you might have. So stop in and see us after the message. Looking forward to seeing you. If you came prepared to give, you can put your check in the basket as it goes by, or you can go to rccsunday.com and you can give online right on your phone. Uh, it's super easy. Just make sure you're connected to the school Wi-Fi. Now let's continue on with worship. 